the future has come to pass. Brothers and sisters, family all across the internet, welcome to I Survived the Rapture. This podcast is one where we delve into all of the weirdness that is the Left Behind series, so all of you don't have to. Um, My name is Shane Bazell. And I'm Gavin Russell. And we're going to be your guides through this weird, wacky, end times journey that we're all going to go on here together. Um, So this is what we're considering our episode zero. Uh, The general format for the podcast over the next several, several months that we've signed ourselves up for on this project is going to be us going through each of the main novels in the Left Behind series. Uh, We're going to laugh. We're going to be shocked. um, We're going to poke fun where we can. We're going to unpack where we can. Um, And we're going to call out things that are problematic where we should, but mostly we're just here to have fun. It's a really bumpy ride so far, but it's an interesting journey nonetheless. So as we are going through these 16 books, um, some of this will be plot summary, some of this will be analysis, some of this will be personal stories and reviewing cultural impact. And the whole point is that I, and I believe Gavin as well, also have come to understand that these books and a lot of the right-wing Christian theology that they put forward and helped popularize around the turn of the millennium is in a lot of ways responsible for a lot of things that modern American evangelical Christians believe. Right. There's a term that I've, uh, I, I think I have both invented and begun to use a little bit. I, I don't think I'm, I, I might not be the first person to say this, but um, uh, there's a sort of feel of pseudo deuterocanon um, where even though the books are not in the Bible, they contain a lot of uh, information that is kind of tied to the Christian meta narrative that has nothing to do with the actual, uh, like the uh, actual useful th- theological principles that you should follow. Yeah, the scriptural canon. You might say Dante's Inferno is a good example of that. Yeah, all right, exactly. That's, uh, I guess, the closest parallel I could do, uh, we could do because of how those books uh, changed people's perception on what hell was. Yeah, the way that hell is described in Inferno is nothing like it is in the Bible. There is no root for it in the Bible, and there would be a lot of biblical scholars that would even argue against the existence of an eternal punishment afterlife. However, Dante Alighieri writes Inferno, and it just sort of becomes canon. And we may talk a little bit about canon as we go through this series, and I like to see much of this biblical canon as it evolves throughout the history is a lot like Star Wars. Different books get written, different creators come along, creative control over the biblical narrative changes hands from one studio to another or one uh, religious dynasty to another. Um, It gets translated into different languages, different vernaculars, and the story and what it involves begins to mutate and evolve as time goes on. 
And this particular mutation that you and I are going to be delving into is more than just a series of novels. It includes novels, young adult novels, feature films, video games, albums, comic books, religious study materials. It is a whole media universe. And not just that, you have the novels that were written before the uh, the Left Behind series even existed that primed Jerry B. Jenkins and Tim LaHaye's mind to create this monolithic um, uh, just um, uh, creation of media. There, um, uh, for every Left Behind book, at least one or two um, uh, more um, books, not in um, even in that series that have uh, ideological um, uh, connections to the Left Behind series, as I found. Yeah, totally. And um, let's talk a minute. I'm just going to give a brief summation of exactly what we're talking about, because we've gotten over five minutes in and we haven't even really discussed what this whole thing is. So here's a brief summary. Left Behind is a series of 16 religious novels by Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins dealing with Christian dispensationalist end times, the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial, Christian eschatological interpretation of biblical apocalypse. There were a lot of big words in there, and we're going to try to unpack those words as we go forward. So I think what a lot of people connect on, if uh, if you say some stuff like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, the antichrist, um, uh, like or antichrist conspiracy theories, stuff like that, that might start giving them a picture of what um, they're kind of dealing with. And then, of course, mm-hmm. the rapture. Uh, yeah, so uh, all of that, anything that, if, if anytime someone says the rapture, the things that you think of connected to that it are um, uh, a lot of times um, uh, rooted in this novel series and a lot of the um, uh, like culture um, uh, that relating to the ra- like the rapture scare tactics of the 1900s. Yeah, absolutely. So the Left Behind series coming out when it did, um, debuting in 1995 was something that you and I were kind of too young um, to immediately jump on, definitely too young. But let's talk about a little bit of our background and our history and kind of where we're coming at this series before we really dive into the nuts and bolts of the series itself and all of the theology that surrounds it. I have a pretty deep history with this series. Um, I did read it. When I was uh, when I was younger, probably around middle school, um, I picked it up after the series had pretty much completed. I think either the final book had been written or was about to come out. I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination church. I actually grew up in the Assemblies of God, um, which is a specific Pentecostal denomination that's pretty prevalent across the South, um, the American South. Um, If you aren't familiar with the Assemblies of God, uh, just imagine your average American Southern Baptist, but throw in um, raising hands and speaking in tongues on occasion, and your image is pretty much there. Sunday school, church on Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Um, So I was very involved in the evangelical tradition growing up. And in the 90s, the mid-90s and the early 2000s, you could not get away from Left Behind. Um, I have a really specific memory of all of those book covers, those stark 
black book jackets, usually with a band of bright color across kind of a little bit offset from the top um, over about the third of the book jacket. And it's always some really, you know, almost like a stock image for most of them. Like I think on the left behind cover, it's a, it's just a globe Um, on one of the covers. There's four horsemen on one of the covers. um, There's like a crosshair with another globe on it. They like globes. Um, And it usually just had the title right there over that image. And uh, they all look really nice when they're on a shelf together. Um, But you could see these books everywhere. They were in Christian bookstores. They were in church bookstores. A lot of churches that I grew up going to had their own bookstore. Um, They had them at Walmart. They had them at Target. They had them at Barnes & Noble. They had them at Borders. Um, You know, anywhere you went that sold popular novels, um, whether it was at a kiosk in the airport or online, as Amazon.com was just getting started, you could buy these books. They were absolutely everywhere. And with them, they kind of brought this sort of feeling, this rapture culture, um, this whole idea that we were so close to the end of history. And like in the Clinton years, you know, you had that end of history and the last man idea that we'd peaked. You know, the Cold War was over. History was done. We were hurtling toward the year 2000, the new millennium. Um, And for a lot of evangelical Christians that I grew up around, uh, we were basically, we had senioritis. Like we were all ready to go. Like we were ready to be raptured. Like one day we're all just going to disappear when God says it's time. And that was just how it was going to be. And I think that Left Behind didn't create that idea, but it did a lot, at least when for my formative years of cementing a lot of the pseudo canon, you know, like you'd said previously. Um, While the Left Behind books have been widely criticized for cherry picking items out of scripture and then interpreting them in a specific way that serves a specific political agenda, and we're going to get into that, um, that was largely the canon version of the rapture that pretty much everybody that I knew believed in. Now, I have pretty much since then um, lapsed in my evangelicalism. I would probably call myself a lapsed evangelical. Um, I also would consider myself an atheist. I I went through my fedora-tipping atheist period, um, my atheist firebrand period, wanting to tear down everything I grew up around. I've mellowed significantly since then. Um, but I would still describe myself as someone who is not a believer, um, a former believer. And I think lapsed is a good word for that. Um, and so when we talk about our own perspectives on this sort of stuff, I'm not coming at this antagonistically, um, but I am coming at it as someone who has come out of that world, um, and is now looking back and looking back in if that makes sense. And uh, I think there will be an interesting contrast with my story then, if I may go ahead. Oh yeah, have that. 
So I came from a Southern Baptist uh, church. It's just your kind of generic, like once saved, always saved, like baptizing, like mass groups of people is like the entire name of the game. That's like uh, the prime directive of things is get people in there, get people in that water, uh, et cetera. Uh, When I was uh, doing, I was kind of like really into uh, church, um, in my preteens, like I would go to every VBS, I began to help in the operations of VBSs. I would sing in front of the congregation. Um, I was like fully inundated. Uh, but as I kind of got older, I started to really become disillusioned with the whole, um, evangelical experience. Uh, I, and, um, I, I kind of had, um, a, um, uh, uh, an edgy atheist period, um, uh, like Shane did, uh, except mine was, uh, um, uh, mine came from like just watching a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> when I was uh, a teenager. And that's like, mm, made me uh, see of a lot of, uh, of like uh, new perspectives. And then I kind of, I-, I fell out of faith. Uh, and then I kind of like re-entered, uh, midway through my teens and got baptized again. So uh, if we have any um, anyone listening that has any views on baptism, that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting anomaly that you probably uh, have there. But after I got baptized twice, I fell out of faith again for um, a number of years until I returned, but to a very different perspective. Um, I'm, I've always been very interested in religion and as kind of contrast to Shane's lapsed evangelical, uh, moniker that we use, uh, I would kind of describe myself as an ecumenical fanboy. I, I really, really like the history and all the stuff uh, and everything surrounding, uh, the church and just religion in general. Uh, and I would consider myself a, a universalist Christian, but the, the Christian element comes from, it is very easy to interface with the Christian religion in the, the part of the country that we live in. And I still think like, I, I can still find value in, in a lot of, uh, the a lot of the things while um uh like the, all the iconography and all of the, the the stuff that religion can like do for your life however there's a degree that i see that it's been kind of implemented in a machiavellian way especially in the american south and uh, i kind of want to help raise the uh raise the hood on some of this stuff some of the stuff that uh is the reason i left in the first place yeah definitely and i think you know, I didn't think of it until just now, but who better uh, to kind of interrogate this entire rapture, early 2000s cultural movement than a couple of Southern boys? Like, we are in it, y'all. <laughs> right? Because I grew up in Tennessee, and then uh, and you grew up in Georgia, right? Yep. Okay, so we got a Georgia boy and a Tennessee boy. Um, so between the two of us, uh, we've got a good portion of the, the mid South and the South South covered here. Um, and you know, we are still deeply in, um, Bible belt territory, um, even in our adult lives. Um, so we are definitely within laboratory conditions to see exactly how all this stuff has come to fruition. Um, so I think, um, and Gavin, I think you probably agree with me. Um, as we go through this, we want 
a we would love to see a an audience of believers, an audience of non-believers, an audience of people of different faiths, because I think that an appreciation for the the work that we're going over here and the cultural impact that it had, for better or worse, is pretty universal. Um, because as you guys are going to discover with us, and as we've kind of already said, American specifically American conservatism and its consequences don't really look the same if this series doesn't blow up like it does. Would you agree? I would agree with that. Yes, definitely. Uh, this, uh, this series, uh, as well as the men behind it were like this, the left behind series was a very intentional piece of propaganda. Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, essentially, it was it was crafted with uh, decades of research preceding it uh, from both of their perspectives that got interwoven once they begun their uh, their uh, career partnership with one another. And uh, yeah, absolutely. And not only is it an impressive work um, on a lot of levels, um, you know, there's there can you can say all you want about the the type of writing, the quality of the writing, the level of how a biblical doctrine or a specific strain of doctrine was woven into what became a pop culture phenomenon is extremely impressive. Um, A crossover pop culture phenomenon in a lot of ways. It crossed over into popular culture mainstream in a way that had not happened for something involving Christian media in a long time. Because with, you know, Gavin, when you and I were growing up, like there is a hole for people who may not be aware or didn't grow up in this there is a whole universe of specifically Christian media. It exists in its own pocket universe. They have their own record labels. They have their own film production companies. They have their own publishing companies, their own software developers. And it comes from a lot of that Christian ethos of, quote, being in the world, but not of it. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of that value system that gets pushed. So for a lot of these properties that come out, um, you're going to get success, but within that specific Christian bubble, right? Right. Um, things typically aren't going to cross over, but occasionally lightning strikes. And I would say with the Left Behind series, it absolutely did. Um, just in my notes here, the series has grossed an estimated billion with a B dollars in sales of the novels alone at over 80 million copies, which is extremely oh impressive um, yeah, for what that's... it is. And that's not including all the other media that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, so just, uh, I, I didn't mention uh, kind of my, uh, have, have we talked about our uh, experience, like um, uh, our history of the books themselves yet? Uh, I did a little, but yeah, go ahead with yours. Okay, so me, um, uh, the difference, uh, main difference between me and you is uh, you, uh, like, did it uh like read them fully as a as a kid or as a teen me this was not a part like uh, despite like all of the other stuff that i did uh i um uh, i never got into the left behind series like i am um, uh i don't think I actually like was really into a lot of like christian media i think i was more just like a part of uh the ceremony and stuff uh so i had other people that i knew that uh read the left behind series but it was always like one degree away i'm like oh, okay so there's a book series about the rapture cool and that was like the only thought process of it uh until i got older and got and just saw like how expansive they were 
because I didn't know that there, even when um, uh, they were talked about, I didn't even know it was that uh, really that big at the time. Uh, however, um, uh, I, I am, uh, I, I'm a gun to see as I got older, just how big it was. Yeah, totally. And see, now we're getting to go through the books together with me reviewing it and you're experiencing it for the first time, which I think mm-hmm. is really awesome. All right, so um, are you ready to get into it? Yeah, let's let's get let's, let's get, get into it. it. <laughs> All right, so um, how did we get here? How did we get to the Left Behind series? How did it come into being? And I, I have something that I wrote a little earlier, just a thought that popped into my head, is that to tell the story of Left Behind, we basically have to tell the story of American conservatism through the latter half of the 20th century. <laughs> exactly. There's uh, <laughs> this book series does not exist in a vacuum, which is something that I will um uh, I will reference a few times in analysis because that is uh like th- these books were shaped by uh by historical events um uh, just as much as uh um uh, just as much as the authors um like helped uh change current events. Or ch- yeah, so what's the earliest? What's the earliest in the timeline you have in your notes? Uh, let's see. I think the earliest I have is probably like around. Uh, well, I would say the end of World War II when like um uh, Tim LaHaye like stepped um uh, like basically like stepped out of the Air Force and into the world of uh, evangelism. Yeah, let's start there. Okay, so let me go down to. Uh, Tim LaHaye. All right, so I'll, uh, you first, uh, our story begins uh, actually a little bit earlier on April 27th, 1926 in uh, Detroit, Michigan, when Tim Francis LaHaye was brought into the world. Uh, enlisted in the army at age 18, he served in the European Theater of Operations in the Air Force as a machine gun operator on a bomber. So, uh, after he got uh, out of World War II, uh, he would go. Uh, he would get a Bachelor's of Arts at Bob J- Jones University, the non-denominational Christian University in Greenville, South Carolina, in 1950. At that university, he would meet his wife Beverly um, uh, Ratcliffe, um, uh, with them both um, uh, sharing a passion for writing. All right. Uh, then, uh, following that, his education career booms even more, getting a doctorate in ministry uh, from Western Cemetery, the private evangelical theological seminary college in Portland, Oregon, and then got a doctorate of uh, literature from Liberty University, a private evangelical university in Lynchburg, Virginia. Oh, Liberty University. Do you have anything on Liberty? (laughs) Yeah, Liberty University um, has kind of a place of infamy um, if you if you kind of know your way around um, the sort of evangelical movement, uh, especially in the uh, in the sixties and seventies, uh, it was founded by Jerry Faldwell Sr. Um, and actually, as of this recording, uh, his son Jerry Faldwell Jr., um, massive um, big fan and proponent of uh, Donald Trump, has actually stepped down. Uh, from the board after some, uh, we're going to call it marital indiscretions. Oh, um, no. Came to life. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, we, we're not here to do a podcast about Jerry Falwell. Um, I'm sure that that has been done better on other podcasts um, that specifically talk about these types of people. But um, yeah, Liberty University and Jerry Falwell are a, um, and, and actually Bob Jones University as well, um, also have a bit of a, a sordid uh, history, to my understanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, after he just attended all these schools uh, for two decades, he just started founding them. Uh, and then he founded the Christian Heritage College in 1971, better known as the San Diego Christian College. And it, within this uh, within this institution, he would help spawn another institute called the Institute of Creation Research, which is a kind of a pseudoscientific um, uh, uh, a place where they apply Genesis for research purposes, that sort of deal. Yeah, it, it, it would be like a think tank. Yeah. Um, almost trying to put out um, scientific proofs for the uh, the creationist worldview um, and trying to kind of twist science to fit that. Um, I do want to jump in here real quick. Uh, when I mentioned that Bob Jones University had a sordid past, I do feel that I need to cite that. Um, okay. That in... They did not admit black students until the 1970s, and then for a 30-year period, interracial dating was prohibited. Um, oh my univer- God. Yeah, that's Bob Jones University. I knew that that rang a bell. Um, now the the university has announced that these policies were wrong, which like duh. But um, yeah, I, I would be remiss if I did not mention that uh, not one but two of Tim LaHaye's alma maters had some. Real interesting uh, stuff going on there. Well, that just adds to the uh, the amount of controversies p- present in these uh, institutions because um, in the 1980s, I want to add that the Institute of Creation Research actually split off from the San Diego College because they wanted to be more like an intelligent design scientific institute rather than a strictly religious one, so they had to cut ties. I, I can almost tell you with absolute certainty, um, especially because I grew up in Christian school, that I likely was taught from material that was either directly created or had contributions from that organization. Right. And um, I'm pretty sure I, I've, uh, I've seen some, um, some stuff at, um, in the same category because that sort of stuff was everywhere when I was, uh, when I was uh, younger and still is like, that's a major part of the pipeline. Yeah. I think um, we're going to notice this pattern that Tim LaHaye's big thing, like his, his big uh, standard that he tends to bear is this is my interpretation of the Bible. Now I'm going to pay a bunch of people to tell other people why it's true. Right. And that's uh that seems to be like uh part of like uh when you're a big like almost like televangelist or big evangelical figure that seems to be part of like part of the whole like progression system is like that is one route that you can go when that's when that's uh your station definitely um but let's uh go back to Tim LaHaye uh, he be- he became a major figure for the evangelical right in the 1970s onward, convincing Jerry F- uh, Falwell, we'll mention him again, uh, to form uh, the Moral Majority in 1979 and serving on its board of directors after he created it. And then his wife, Beverly LaHaye, founded the Concern um, uh, Women for America Foundation in 1978. Yeah. Now, do you have anything on the moral majority for especially uh, some listeners that might be on the younger side? 
Uh, I do, don't. I'll let you um, uh, go into that if you have anything. Let me hop in here. So um, okay. for those of you that don't know um, or that may not be aware or may have heard this term, but maybe not with a capital M, capital M, because to this day, you know, you'll hear conservatives, uh, especially on Fox News, talk about the moral majority when they're referring specifically to like the religious right. Um, but in this case, this actually was a real organization called the Moral Majority. Um, is a prominent American political organization associated with the Christian right and the Republican Party, uh, founded in 1979 by Baptist minister Jerry Falwell Sr. and associates, later dissolved in the late 1980s. Um, now, just because it dissolved does not mean that a lot of the precedents and um, political strategies that it set did not have a massive impact um, on you know, American politics as we see them today. The modern melding of the Republican Party and evangelical Christianity can be laid almost solely at the feet of the moral majority, Jerry Faldwell, um, and a lot of his collaborators at the time. You can basically say, okay, they're why Ronald Reagan became president. Um, they are a lot of the reason that George, uh, that George Bush and George W. Bush became president. Um, there's a long legacy that that echoes to this day from the moral majority. And of course, for the longest time, I had no idea what they were. Um, I only knew them as referenced in a lyric of a Green Day song. Um, <laughs> but, um, but when I, you know, especially once I came out of Christianity, learning a lot more about it, um, understanding what a significant impact that this group had. Right. And uh, yeah, because I'd always heard that name throw around the zeitgeist as well. But like before um, uh, this sort of uh, this uh, researching for this um, uh, podcast, I didn't know exactly what they were. Um, and however, I'm I don't know, there is a lot of a feel with the research for this episode where I'm just like seeing more and more of the machinations starting to uh, become unveiled. And I'm uh, it was uh, it was an experience, especially the uh, the concerned women for America group uh, that his wife was uh, was uh, uh, that his wife helped found uh, just shows like that Tim was not alone in building this empire. Uh, Beverly was just as uh, big, and like they were both kind of like they both had their own book series. They both had their own organizations. They were like perfect uh counterparts for one another so to speak. oh dude they were a power couple yeah they were real they were real gruesome twosome so after that whole um deal they helped found the council for national policy in 1981 a conservative activist group uh, activist group who hold meetings at confidential undisclosed locations a few times a year who boy <laughs> Um, so how much do you have on the Council for National Policy, the CNP? Uh, I just have uh, that uh, headline. I have just mainly like the big highlights of those. Mine more gets uh, detailed once it gets to their actual uh, literature uh, that they began right. to write. So, um, so to understand a little bit about the CNP and uh, Tim LaHaye's involvement, you have to understand a concept called dominionism. And uh, this is going to come up a little bit more as we go throughout the series, um, specifically dominionism, American dominionism, and how a lot of the groups and individuals and beliefs that are portrayed as villainous in the Left Behind series are those that are actually kind of opposed to American dominionism. 
Um, to sum it up, when we use that word, that specifically means the desire to turn the United States of America into a type of Christian theocracy. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the belief that, oh, it should be like that, um, but the active, the political direct action, be that via donation, be that via policymaking, um, by the election of certain individuals, that the American um, experiment concludes and out of it arises a Christian theocracy. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to tell anybody listening that that belief is alive and well <laughs> out yeah. there in 2020. Right. Um, very much so. So everybody that you hear uh, saying that they shouldn't have to wear a mask during the, uh, the coronavirus pandemic because uh, God said they shouldn't um, is definitely echoing even a copy of a copy of a copy of Dominionist talking points. So with the CNP, the Council for National Policy, it's more of an umbrella organization and a networking group for conservative and Republican activists. The New York Times has described it as a little-known club of a few hundred of the most powerful conservatives in the country. And by powerful, they specifically mean um, the most wealthy Um, because that's how you play the game, baby. Yeah, another one of the the major uh, group uh, people in this that uh, a lot of people may have heard of is televangelist Pat Robertson. Oh, my boy is, Pat. Yeah, who is basically like the uh, like Protestant Pope, as I like oh, to yeah. call him. Also, um, dude's got crazy lower body strength. Oh my god, really? You ever seen him do? You ever seen him do a leg press? No, I have not. Yeah, he's yoked. Holy shit! Yeah, it's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> holy smokes it's uh he he says it's all god but uh like nah dudes dudes uh dudes the same age as gandalf and he can uh he can leg press a ton like he's he's super yoked it's a crazy video look it up on youtube pat robertson leg press okay it'll blow your mind, it'll blow your mind. so from the nation um it's a secret or- organization that networks wealthy right-wing donors with the top conservative operatives to plan long-term movement strategies um if you have ever wondered if there were people out there specifically trying to manipulate events to do things like overturn Roe v. Wade um, in the U.S., uh, it's these guys, it's them, it's, it's them, <laughs> it's the CNP. Founded in 1981, like you said, um, it has actually been described as a Pluto theocracy, um, which is it's two words I never wanted to hear together. It's kind of a late capitalist uh, Christian Illuminati. Um, which considering Tim LaHaye's uh, personal beliefs and theories, oh yeah, his, uh, uh, that's very ironic. So do you want to talk about that for a minute? Yeah, so, one moment. Uh, so Tim LaHaye uh, has uh, apparently got his hands on 50 books on the Illuminati, or, um, uh, or over 50 books on the Illuminati, and he began to... Uh, form this idea that um there's this satanic uh, force trying to use the government education and media to just totally annihilate christianity within american society and establish a new world order and i think it's it's important to note that the forces um the tendrils the tentacles of this uh shoggoth that is the illuminati uh, according to tim LaHaye, are groups like the NAACP um, because according to LaHaye, civil rights are destroying America. 
um, anyone in favor of reproductive rights for women or any sort of civil rights for people of color or any sort of civil rights for LGBTQ plus folks. So basically, you know, it's exactly what you would think um, coming from the most right wing, most conservative, most theocratic uh, sector of American society. They just don't try to hide it. They don't couch it in any other language. There's no we're about family values or traditional values. It's no, the devil controls everybody who's not us and we are here to fight him. And on the note of LGBT people, uh, Tim LaHaye also, like, he, he, uh, he had a lot to say about them in his book that he published in 1978 called The Unhappy Gays, which was later retitled to What Everyone Should Know About Homosexuality. All right, was he trying to do a pun? there because of the of the meaning so. of the word gay of the other meaning of the word gay was that an attempt I, at a pun i i believe that was uh mr lahaye's intent there oh, yes bad pun timmy bad pun buddy which um bad pun bad book but uh for every book on uh, for for this one book that he has on uh how bad uh gay people are he has a surprising amount of uh, of uh, of heterosexual uh, sex life books oriented around Christianity as well. Oh man, now we're cooking with gas. Okay, so um, a lot of his uh, uh, new uh, nonfiction um, that he wrote throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, uh, through um, uh, the latter half of the 1900s. Like he, he spent a long time on this. Uh, you have The Act of Marriage, The, the Beauty of, se- uh, of Sexual, love um the uh, what love making means series which is a two book series where he explains what love making means to a woman practical advice to married women about sex and what love making means to a man practical advice to married men about sex both uh framing the act of sex um through a evangelical lens and like what it's for how you do it um they have one called sex education is for the family Whoa. Uh, <laughs> raising sexually pure kids how to prepare your children for the act of marriage. So he did a prequel to the act of marriage of how to prepare your kids for that book. Like you gotta, you got, it's a whole program. Oh man. Now he's like real. Okay. This is weirdly gross. Yeah. There's no, there's nobody that I want uh, telling people how to have sex more than a, uh, than an ancient um, super right wing um, (laughs) plutocratic Republican theocrat. Who believes in the Illuminati? I, I, yeah, the pictures of him I've had to see. He um, uh, having that man specifically teach someone about, about sex is a little bit weird. Yeah, what would you say uh, his general look is like? Oh God, he he dresses like he's always like in his Sunday his Sunday best. But I don't know. It might just be me because I know too like that he has a sort of like aged look, especially in a lot of uh, the, uh, his uh, the the photos that got taken of him in the nineties. And the- I'm gonna say evil Mister Rogers. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, he's has- he's he's yummy, Mister Rogers. Like he solved the Millennium Puzzle, and this is the the yummy version of Mister Rogers. If. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I can just imagine him smiling like, won't you convert your neighbor? Oh, God. <laughs> Dude, she caught me sleeping. <laughs> oh, it was good. All right. So, uh, 
So after uh, his very uh, stra- uh, the strange tangent on his books about uh, his strange books about uh, a sexuality, you have uh, uh, continuing on with his timeline. You have an even an inner evangelical circle um, controversy where Tim uh, LaHaye accepted money from Bo High Pack, an operative of the Council of Religious Freedom founded by Messiah claimant Sung Young Moon, going additionally to join the Council of Religious Freedom himself with his wife Beverly speaking at a Moon-sponsored event in 1996. So uh, if you want to talk a little bit about the Mooney shame. I actually, I'm going to let you do it because I I am sort of unfamiliar. And in fact, when you said Sung Young Moon, I was not, I was like, wait, 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 wait. Are these the Moonies? Right. Uh, and you had to tell me, yes, they, that they in fact were the capital M Moonies. Well, they were a, uh, a, a unification. Uh, they were formerly known as the Unification Church, which was a worldwide new, uh, new wave religious movement where there wa- was a guy named Sung Young Moon who was claiming to be the second coming of Christ and uh, was using that for massive uh, political and uh, economic gain. Like he was a uh, a sort of like uh, to use the term like almost like Protestant Pope uh, sort of deal. But he was using that the entire time for a lot of like shady stuff. Eventually, where uh, the United when he moved to the United States, he was uh, he got a lot. Uh, he uh, he began to get a lot of. Uh, like income tax fraud um, uh, uh, starting to be found uh, when he was uh, <laughs> when he was in the United States. So the guy was uh, a real charlatan uh, based on just the uh, uh, a surface level examination of him. Yeah, yeah, Grifter City. This guy um, and but- uh, Tim LaHaye got that thirty pieces of silver from from him. Oh yeah, and um, so yeah, the Unification Movement was founded in 1954. And uh, Sun Myung Moon uh, actually passed away in uh, in 2012, from what I understand. Right, and uh, I think we we haven't mentioned. I don't think we've mentioned yet that uh, Tim LaHaye uh, died on July 25th, 2016. So he and uh, the two main um, uh, the two main boys have uh, have uh, sadly or well. You know, we're we're not going to celebrate you know someone's death, but yes, uh, Tim LaHaye did pass away in 2016. Um, after a very long and full life of uh, trying to turn the United States into a theocracy. <laughs> to, to kind of start to uh, segue into the Left Behind series, like where that in the timeline mashes up. Uh, he would found the Pre-Tribulation Research Ch- uh, Center with Thomas Ice in 1998, uh, concurrent with his work on the Left Behind series, a center focused on creating content that's supportive of the dispensationalist pre-tribulation interpretation of the Bible. Uh, and then Beverly and, t- and him would have connections to John Birch society they would be a key component in getting the religious right to be on board with not just ronald reagan but george w bush in 2000 uh that sort of thing so he was a major i guess uh media arm of uh of your evangelical community all right i gotta jump in for one second because i did not know about the john birch society thing um how familiar are you with the john birch society gav uh i i know a little bit i i know i, I enough to know that's like another one of the tendrils of uh of uh the of- American modern American conservatism. Yeah. Okay. So the John Birch Society um, was actually named after one of the first, I believe he was an American ambassador to China. 
um, to communist China, um, who was, I think he was murdered um, or something like that. I, I'm, I'm real fuzzy on the history. What's important is pretty much every Red Scare, anti-communist conspiracy theory, and even Illuminati conspiracy theory that you have ever heard out of from any pundit or crazy person online probably originated with the John Birch Society. The, one of their original things was um, this: is, they were so right-wing after World War II that they loudly proclaimed that President Eisenhower was a secret communist infiltrator. Oh my God. That Dwight D. Eisenhower was a secret communist. That was how crazy anti-communist right-wing they were. And the John Birch Society is also very important when we talk about how much Tim LaHaye believed in the Illuminati because the John Birch Society had a massive impact on another particular crank that you and I have followed very closely and who had a massive impact on the 2016 election, the father of one Alexander Jones was a member of the John Birch Society. Alex Jones's dad was in the John Birch Society. Oh, see, so all of this is connected. All, all of your, it's all, all of your, like, <laughs> I got the documents right here. It's all connected. Yeah, it all, it's all connected <laughs> to the Left Behind series. <laughs> I have the documents so, right here. If you, if you guys don't want to read along with us and go on this journey now and see how much this series is impacting your literal daily life right now. Um, I, I don't know what else to tell you. Cause this is, it, it's so, it all comes back to this small group of guys. Um, so, uh, does that pretty much wrap us on LaHaye? Are we ready to move on to the, the second half? Uh, well, I have a, uh, I want to very briefly, uh, just for a few minutes, talk about the, uh, well, I can get to that when we, um, uh, talk about, um, uh, Jerry B. Jenkins, that kind of like segues into that. But so, yeah, we're, we're pretty much done with Tim LaHaye minus t- two, uh, notes that I have, uh, when we cover Jenkins. All right, cool. So um, let's go ahead and jump into the other half of Tim and Jerry. Jerry Bruce Jenkins was born on September 23rd, 1949 in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And uh, he, uh, he's, uh, his main, I guess, where I flag Jerry B. Jenkins, like origin uh, from like where all of his stuff uh, begins uh, is his religious life began at six when his mom explained to him the meaning behind the Wal- Wal- Warner Salmon picture, Christ at Heart's Door, because he didn't know what Bible story it was from. And she replied, and I, I personally, just because of how much I've delved into his creative life how much this next line's about to impact him. But his mother said to him, it's not in the Bible, but it's symbolic of Jesus knocking on the heart of your door. And that line uh, would um, uh, be part of the catalyst to uh, send him on his way uh, for his career. Now, his uh, career informally um, uh, uh, got started after he gained an injury in high school. Uh, when he couldn't play sports anymore, he began to wrote about them, becoming a school sports reporter in high school. Uh, and this would segue into him doing segments on schoolboy sports for the Chicago Tribune. <coughs> Buck Williams. <coughs> uh, 
uh, other local uh, papers. Uh, after that, he would go to the Moody Bible Institute, uh, and he initially was an editor for the college radio station, WMBI-FM, Moody Radio Chicago, 90.1 FM. All right, I really got to point out how, with their specific degrees from the different institutions that they're hitting, they are really, like, between Jenkins and LaHaye, they are really starting to collect so many of the Pokemon gym badges of Christian Bible colleges. Right. They got <laughs> Bible belt clout. Like they, <laughs> they, they, they got, they got um, uh, your, t- like all of your credentials for, uh, for, the, for this sort of station, so to speak. Yeah. To, to succeed in this specific world, they are, they got bona fides for days. They are, they're getting ready to challenge the elite four. Right. They, uh, they're, they're, de- they're definitely like one's a tank and one's DPS. <laughs> Or one's a healer, one's a tank. You know, like they 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 fit together like those archetypes, so to speak. Yeah, they're geared they're geared up pretty well. Right. Uh, going on with uh, the Moody thing, uh, he would then do a lot with Moody. Like he would man he would uh, be their uh, managing editor of Moody Monthly, uh, a school uh, newspaper from 1974 to 1975. When he was uh, at Moody Radio, he became the vice president of the publishing division from 1985 to 1988, and then he just became like uh one of uh the the major writers like in-house from 1988 onward like you just like like man get jerry to, to write this like that sort of deal uh and that uh as uh we actually get into the books and uh i know i kind of touch on this but the 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 pro tags of the left behind series um uh very much sort of art imitates life of these two boys as well oh yeah and then finally you get to jerry b jenkins writing career uh where his first book would be published at moody publishers in 1973 uh and the moody institute uh published uh, his biography on sammy tippett an american evangelist uh, an athlete as well as another book that year called you can get through to teens from publisher victor books a sort of like teen devotional like hey this is how you like get teens to listen to god learn how to say hey kids jesus is rad right jesus goes by on a skateboard and does uh does a sick christ air because he invented that trick <laughs> and uh then uh his uh the first like major book series that he published was a four- 13 detective mystery novel series called the margo mystery um where uh, it's a Christian romance series about a. I was actually going to ask, was it a Christian detective series? Yes, like, uh, yeah. actually, it's a series about a girl named Margot who is about to commit suicide oh and God. is stopped by a young artist named Philip. And through the power of God, they form a relationship and become detectives. And each one is about another girl that got killed, and they gotta, uh, they gotta, like, they gotta, they gotta solve it. <laughs> Uh, and then you get um, uh, another uh, detective uh, s- series that he published through Victor Books called The Jennifer Grey Mystery, which is, uh, uh, from what I can tell, a story about a young woman who named Jennifer Grey, who is a police reporter for the Chicago Daily, but who falls in love with a cop who gets erected for drug trafficking. And then, you know, there's some, like, you know, the- theological aspects in there. This is a little bit of a deep cut, but I think that uh, if Jerry were listening, he would appreciate that I compared him to this guy but he's got he's kind of going for like a gk chesterton kind of thing um like a like a theological uh thriller um you know sort of thing that's kind of his whole deal 
right? Yeah, and he he made a lot of that stuff. And like, it seems like a lot of his, uh, he did a lot of stuff about like your detectives uh, novels. Like in 2011 and 2012, he did a three-part series uh, about this guy named Boone Drake. Uh, and I'll read a little bit about, uh, the, okay, this is uh, his, the theme of having ridiculous character names uh, is something that appears all throughout. I. You know, you're you're kind of like very uh, Tom Clancy. Yeah, you're some of your like very uh, um uh, out there, I guess, new um uh, action flick names that you get. Um, but Boone Drake has it made. He's a young cop rising rapidly through the ranks of the Chicago Police Department. He has a beautiful wife and young son, a nice starter house, a great partner, and a career plan that should land him in the organized crime division within five years. Everything is going right until everything goes horribly, terribly wrong. His personal life destroyed and his career and future in jeopardy. Boone buries himself in guilt and bitterness as his life spirals out of control. But when he comes face to face with the most vicious gang leader Chicago has seen in decades, he begins to realize that God is a God of second chances and can change the hardest heart and forgive the worst of crimes. That's the description for the Precinct 11 series that he made. (laughs) Um, but then you get more of, uh, his kind of like the new world order stuff, because that's not just exclusive to Tim LaHaye. That's a lot of where, um, uh, Jenkins begun to go, especially after left behind went off because, um, uh, as I've started to see these guys just churned out content, like no one's business, right? Uh, Like it's going out of style. Tim LaHaye had like, I think he wrote like some like 80 something books in his life. And Jerry B. Jenkins wrote about like, he wrote, uh, I would say on his own, like maybe like over a hundred, but he's contributed to over 200. Like uh, there's a lot of books out there that don't have his name on the cover that he was just like, I got to help with this one. Yeah. These guys are prolific. Mm hmm. They they built an empire of books that they wrote um, uh, seemingly overnight, <laughs> and then you st- so then you have the Underground Zealot trilogy that was from 2003 to 2005 again by Tyndale House. Uh, it was a three part series of soon silence and shadowed, telling the story of Paul Stepola, an agent at the National Peacekeeping Organization who is in charge of enforcing the world ban on religion. As he digs deeper into an underground cult, uh, <laughs> trying to get intel to take it down, he sees that they hold the key to explaining of various recent world events and leading him to see that Judgment Day is coming. Oh my God! So yeah. So they're iterating on a theme before and after their left behind books yeah um, seeing, so, so jerry jerry's the the, the supernatural thriller writer la is the prophecy buff conspiracy theorist and really when they make that lightning strike is specifically with with left behind right mm-hmm. and uh let's see and that is not the uh the last um uh, sort of left behind like offshoot that uh, Jerry B. Jenkins did because they did another three-part series um, uh, called the the Renegade Spirit series, which is comprised of book one, The Tattooed Rats, book two, Demon's Bluff, and book three, Seclusion Point. And just to give you the brief uh, explanation of what this is all about, Christianity is outlawed. 
Sharing faith is considered hate speech. Worship is done in secret underground settings. Patch, a high school student, has to form his own belief and try not to get killed along the way. He meets characters such as the Wharf Rats, a gang covered in tattoos who turn out to be believers. Schoolmates betray. True is this Christian hard- Hunger Games? Yep, true friends are hard to find. Spiritual forces intervene, causing havoc and deception. Through it all, can Patch's faith prevail? Oh, dude, this is Christian Hunger Games. When was this written? 2006 to 2008. All right, so so getting pretty close to Hunger Games territory. All right, yeah. Right, and then uh, I have two more of his series I want to like briefly uh, share. Uh, then you have uh, the Wormling series, which was made from 2007 to 2008, which was a five-book series. And I just want to mention this one because after Left Behind concluded, uh, this was like right after uh, Left Behind was wrapping up, I think, when he started working on uh, this series. And uh, I'm just going to read you the title of book one, which is The Book of of the king because uh jerry b james was like well you know what i gotta do my tolkien series now which is uh a, a, kind of like a, a weird isekai adventure where you have this guy named owen reader who uh like lives uh, or spends a lot of times in his father's bookstore and uh like can just read books at an unbelievable pace but then like gets uh gets like forced into like this good versus evil battle and uh had to go to like an another world called the lowlands so that that's his uh that's his lord of the rings oh my god it is an isekai <laughs> wait is is he is he awesome in the other world because he reads so many books yeah yeah it's oh my god <laughs> Yeah, because it downplays like, oh, yeah, on Earth, he didn't really have much powers. He could just read books. But in the lowlands, he's like, whoa. Oh, my God. And then finally, we have uh, a, a series that is currently being written right now. Oh, man, I can pick this up in my local library today. Uh, and uh, this is the Dead Sea Chronicles. Let's see. So I'll read you the two uh, excerpts that I have because it, it, the progression is pretty wild. Um, so you have Dead Sea Rising, which is book one, where Nicole um, Berman is an archaeologist on the brink of a world-changing discovery. Preparing for her first dig in Jordan, she believes she found concrete evidence of a biblical patriarch that could change the history books forever, but someone doesn't want the truth revealed. While urgently trying to connect pieces of an ancient puzzle, a dangerous enemy is out to stop her. And then... Book two, The Dead Sea Conspiracy, which is coming out 13 days from the day of recording. That oh, was. my God. <laughs> right? Meanwhile, readers are launched back to ancient Ur, where young Abraham is sent to learn from his forebears, who tell firsthand stories of the Great Flood and being on the Ark. How will Abraham cope with his heritage of multiple faiths? Dude, this is just... Okay, so this is now, we've gone into full Bible fan fiction. Which leads me into what Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins did as well after Left Behind, because that didn't stop their partnership either. You have then uh, the Jesus Chronicles, which was a four-part series comprising of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, retold in novel format, um, uh, retelling the stories of the canonical Gospels. When... 
you do so much Christian book that you have to write your own Bible. <laughs> right. And that, that is not, uh, that's, uh, and there's one more book I want to talk about. In the they get, did they get any flack for that? Uh, I, I, I didn't see, I, I think probably, but I didn't see like, um, I guess uh, they were golden boys by that point. So maybe, well, I mean, it probably not. got as much criticism as the left behind books themselves, because even right. within the evangelical community, there was a lot of like, and just like uh, the whole of Christianity is in general, like all the other denominations, like, like also um, uh, interfacing with these, like definitely the anti-Catholic sentiment. And then even among evangelicals, they were, uh, like you said, uh, convinced of like cherry picking sort of things. So they had a very specific view of, of rapture theology that not is everyone even in the evangelical circle yeah and and i'm actually gonna sum up some of that as we close out today gotcha okay and i want to mention one more book by uh jerry b jenkins which was kind of in the same vein as um uh the jesus chronicles called i saw which um uh, you go between like present day texas and uh the roman dungeons in 67 ad where like you go between the seminary professor named augustine knox and then you go go to this perspective of saul of tarsus it's that that's another like weird one like what if like i could we we just isekied people back to bible times too that is a surprisingly common theme in a lot of christian media um, mm-hmm. Any of my listeners who are familiar with Adventures in Odyssey will know about the Imagination Station and exactly what I'm talking about right now. For those of you that uh, don't know what I'm talking about, there's a Christian uh, radio show that has its own little Doctor Who uh, segment. Wait, what? <laughs> whoa, 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 holy cow. Okay, all right, quick digression. There's a, okay, Focus on the Family, the uh, organization created by James Dobson. Also part of this cabal with like Tim LaHaye and Jerry Falwell and all these guys. Also largely responsible for a lot of the situation the country finds itself in. Um, has a radio drama series called Adventures in Odyssey. And I just will probably not be the last time I mention them on this show because they were also incredibly formative to me growing up. Um, it takes place in a small town. One of the main characters is a grandfatherly inventor, kind of a Mr. Rogers fused with Doc Brown. And he invents a machine that is not a time machine. It is a simulation machine called the Imagination Station that taps into the imagination center of your brain and allows you to experience pre-run subroutine programs of different events in history. You think they are happening uh, because it is tapping into the visualization center of your brain, but you never actually leave this chamber. But the machine itself, when it is drawn, uh, looks like a uh, police call box slash telephone booth. So somewhere in between Bill and Ted and a TARDIS. Well, that's that's another uh, bit of information that I didn't have before today. Yeah, I got to say, like so much of this Christian media raised me, dude. Um, and maybe maybe we won't do a, a bonus if we can find something related to uh, Revelation and the Rapture in Adventures in Odyssey. We made to do a, a bonus listen. Right, and a quick segue back to Tim LaHaye's um, uh, writing career. I won't go too far into it because we're a little bit cut for time tonight. Uh, but we have, he he did a, set, a similar sort of thing. He did the Babylon Rising series, which comprised the Babylon Rising, The Secret on Ararat, The Europa Conspiracy, and Edge of Darkness, where uh, there you have this, uh, another college professor sort of story who he's given a giant sum of money by this secret donor called Methuselah. And he's tasked with finding an artifact that could prove 
the Bible completely inerrant. However, this um, uh, evil group known as the Seven are trying to stop him and form a one-world religion, government, make one-world currency. Uh, we'll get into that once we uh, in next episode with uh, book one, but that's essentially like, hmm, you kind of did that already, but okay. And then you have the end series, which is another four-parter, Edge of Apocalypse, Thunder of Heaven, Brink of Chaos, and Mark of Evil, which are just another uh, revelation, eschatological uh, thriller that uh, series that um, uh, Tim LaHaye did from 2010 to 2014. So, like, they kept getting nostalgic for these, like, eschatological books. That actually gives me a good jumping-off point to how I want to kind of close us out today, is that you have done an exhaustive amount of research as to these two men and their bibliographies, right? Like their, their body of work. Mm-hmm. And it all tends to revolve around some of the same things. It ultimately falls into, for the most part, Christian fan fiction. Writing books about Bible stories, about people inserted into Bible stories, Isekai-style Bible-related conspiracies, like all of these things that would fall kind of under the banner of Christian fan fiction. Even to a degree, a lot of the prophecy interpretation that LaHaye did in his nonfiction by a lot of theologians would also be considered fan fiction because he interpreted the Bible and cherry-picked a lot of different things to form a narrative that was solely his, and then he sold that narrative to a lot of people. And yet, We have, none of us, at least me, up until now, I think I may have heard of Babylon Rising, but I hadn't heard of any of that stuff. Well, I hadn't either, uh, because, but it just shows, like, I'd only heard of Left Behind. I didn't see all of the other stuff under the hood that was, like, building upon this stuff even further. Right. And I think the reason why, and, and this is a testament to Left Behind's success, I think the reason why this was their one hit. It was a big hit. It was a massive hit. We already talked about a billion dollars. The reason why this was such a huge hit was that it hit at the exact right time. Right. And I have a little bit of a, of a timeline leading up to this with some of the major pop culture events in American conservative media and, and religious media leading up to that. And this is kind of how I wanted to close this out. Because the idea of pre-tribulation, dispensational, premillennialism, say that with a mouthful. <laughs> um, yeah, that is probably the best way to describe this rapture theology, capital R, capital T. Um, but we're not going to use that phrase very often, but it is a generally accepted one. Essentially what this rapture theology means, I'm going to give you a little, a little crash course on what this belief system is, that those who are true Christians, and in this case it means Bible-believing, fundamentalist, evangelical folks, uh, not Catholics, Tim LaHaye hated Catholics, um, not Mormons, uh, not Orthodox. Um, those are all pseudo-Christianity and false religions. We're talking die in the wool, you know, sin stomping, devil wamping, Sunday morning, Sunday night type of even American evangelicals are the ones who are going to be saved. It is a Protestant-centric worldview that we are living in the last days of this earth as described by the book of Revelation in the Bible. And in order to kick off that last day's period, um, God is going to rapture his church. He is going to come like a thief in the night, as the Bible says, and literally make all the Christians vanish. They're going to get snatched up. And they pull a lot of different uh, verses to support this. Probably the most famous is Matthew 24, 
40 through 42, in which Jesus says, There shall be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Um, This idea that without warning, all the true Christians will be snatched away from this earth. They will vaporize, disappear, and be taken immediately to heaven. Um, No need to go through death. um, No need to go through suffering. They are immediately taken. And that then in turn kicks off a period of seven years called the Great Tribulation in which God will pour out his judgment upon the world. And these judgments can take the form of biblical plagues. They can take the form of war, strife, earthquakes. This is where we get the four horsemen of the apocalypse as described in Revelation. And during this period of time, these folks with this particular belief system believe that there will be a great harvest of souls that Um, Several people who missed their chance the first time will have the opportunity to come to Christ and to uh, believe in this evangelical uh, faith during this amount of time. Um, It will be very difficult. Lots of people will die. There will be war. There will be famine. There will be strife. There will be pestilence. And then that's kind of the, the revelation side of it, where people like Tim LaHaye, who's entire job it was in this period to um, their entire you know livelihood dependent on interpreting biblical prophecy, they looked beyond just the book of Revelation, um, which in and of itself is an incredibly cryptic um, and in some ways incoherent book of the Bible um, that was written by an author who is very difficult to place. Um, a lot of scholars are not sure who John of Patmos was, um, the attributed author of Revelation. So. In a lot of ways, these scholars will go back and look at other books. They'll look at Thessalonians. They will look at Matthew. They will look at Daniel in the Old Testament. They'll look at Ezekiel in the Old Testament. And they will pick and choose different items from each of these books. Um, And one of the important ones for the rapture is Thessalonians, um, in which Paul says in Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive and we who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Um, Another key component of their theology is the belief that during this tribulation, Jesus Christ will develop a rival on earth. Um, You have heard us say the word. um, You will hear us say this throughout reading the books, the anti-Christ. Now, again, this, the evidence for such an individual existing in scripture is kind of spurious at best, but people like Tim LaHaye believe that there is a, a mountain of evidence that a Christ in reverse figure um a a yammy christ <laughs> which is kind of interesting considering uh again their support of the uh tim lay's support of the moonies i know and it, it it's really fascinating uh now that i've learned that is that you know this guy was saying that there's a second coming of christ it's fascinating but the idea of an antichrist and specifically a one world government um probably precipitated by the u.n all of this is going to come into play when we start um, listening to the uh, and, and reading through the Left Behind books. But 
what a lot of them will call back to is um, the story of the dream of King Darius in the book of Daniel, which is in the Old Testament, um, which is before Jesus. So they're just like, hey, we saw this prophecy back here. We think this applies. Um, And in this story, the king of Babylon has a dream in which he sees a statue that's made in layers of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then it's at the very bottom layer, its feet are made of a mixture of iron and clay. Within the prophecy that Daniel, the prophet, interprets for the king, he says that each of these are representative of different empires that will come. And then the feet of iron and clay, the iron uh, shins of iron and then the feet of iron and clay are uh, the Roman Empire and then an empire that is yet to come. An interesting uh, little side note, just because of another thing that popped up in my research, the head of that statue is a major plot point in Babylon Rising. Oh, God, I bet it is. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is. I'm yeah, not even like, a little bit uh, surprised. Michael Murphy finds the head of uh, that statue. This head, The head of the statue from the dream, the dream statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, neat. <laughs> yeah, just fun fact. Yeah, the, the the dream statue that's not a thing even in the Bible that even the Bible is like it's a dream. That's super, that's all right, neat. Super cool and good. <laughs> but so what the funniest thing about the the conspiracy about one world government and I'm I promise I'm going to tie this back into the dominionism thing. Also want to give a really quick but important shout out to Renegade Cut on YouTube and their 2 hour video essay called Left Behind and the Translation of God. It was a fantastic resource for all the research that I was able to do for my part in the episode. Don't ever think that as we go through these Left Behind books that they are not politically motivated. Um, because of this Tim LaHaye's strong connection to Christian dominionism, his fear of a strong United Nations or of a one world government of any kind threatens Christian sovereignty and threatens the dreams of a theocratic American state. So that is something to always be feared. And so what they will do is they'll take that prophecy of the kingdom yet to come, and they will twist it to be a future one world government. Never mind the British empire, the modern American empire, and, you know, and, and the Mongolian empire, all those empires in between, um, the, the Romans and now, um, that have existed and have conquered much of the known world. Forget those guys. It's totally going to be the one world uh, United Nations uh, New World Order. <laughs> right. How much trouble could uh, Georgia H.W. Bush have saved us all if he never said the words New World Order in a speech? Uh, I think I, I, I am. Uh, maybe it would have disappeared, but I, I, I think it would have just been another arrangement of, of uh, words. Yeah, another three-word arrangement for whatever yeah. it was. Like yeah, something else would catch on. Does, it super does uh, roll off the tongue pretty well, right? NWO, baby. NWO. <laughs> um, so, just for our brief timeline, um, as we kind of close out here, because I said I was going to get to this. Um, when we think about pre-tribulation dispensational premillennialism, the first book that I think of is The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Um, if you guys are going to do some outside research as to some of the things that informed Left Behind, that's a good place to start. Um, Lindsey wrote this nonfiction book about biblical prophecy, um, similar to what LaHaye would do probably about 30 years later. Mm -hmm. um, it was written in 1970. 
Um, Lindsay and his collaborator, uh, C. Carlson, later published several sequels, including Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth and the 1980s Countdown to Armageddon. Oh, my God. <laughs> awesome. Super awesome. Um, then another piece of uh, related media that you guys can check out, um, definitely at least watch the trailer because it's wild is A Thief in the Night uh, from 1972 and its sequels. Uh, this was probably the first dramatized, at least that we're aware of, the first um, dramatized depiction of, uh, of this kind of rapture um, before Left Behind. So this is kind of the, uh, the, the Buck Rogers to Left Behind Star Wars. So they, they kind of did it first. Um, definitely super hokey. Um, it actually predated uh the exorcist by a whole year the exorcist came out in 1973 the 70s coming out of the the spiritual drug haze of the 60s the 70s were ripe for uh some weird supernatural kind of fringe stuff to start to creep back in from the christian side Mm -hmm. uh, because you had so much uh kind of spiritual experimentation in the late 60s now I think that with the founding of the Moral Majority, at least this is my personal interpretation, Moral Majority gets founded, um, media, the country takes a right, rightward shift, and we get into kind of the satanic panic of the 80s. Um, you know, we're blaming, um, you know, metal albums and um, satanic ritual abuse and child sacrifice and this, this huge uptick in in panic about dungeons and dragons and magic cards and things like that that are people are getting scared in the 80s right oh my god i got big moral panic and that sentiment still carries on to this day like to a degree in certain circles that uh hysteria hasn't left i remember when i was very young at a christian retreat some Yu-Gi-Oh cards got you know smuggled in someone's bag and you know just uh we didn't think of anything of it really we were just playing beside uh just beside where everyone was hanging out you know a guy came over over and just kind of like looked at us and kind of like you know it was like hmm what you doing here guys i'm like we're playing Yu-Gi-Oh. and they're like hmm and he watched us play and i guess heard us uh, saying like stuff about we're gonna summon some monsters and then i summon dark magician you want to be start talking in a super deep voice um i think we may have been you know we may have been goofing off we may have been like role playing <laughs> some show uh but uh when uh when we went back to our cabin our youth pastor came in and said all right where are the cards? And uh, we're like, what do you mean? It's like, you guys, you, you don't really know what you're messing with. Th- those cards have power. <laughs> yeah, so uh, K- Karibo is going to help me uh, do some dark deeds to say. Yeah, dude, if you got to believe in the heart of the cards, they do have power. And so does your friendship. <laughs> Which is by Satan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I had the same experience with, uh, with Yu-Gi-Oh cards, with Pokemon cards. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, Pokemon as well for me. The 90s. Oh yeah, Pokemon because they had psychics yeah. and psychic spirit channelers. You couldn't go into Lavender Town without there being spirit channelers, and you just couldn't have that. Oh, I remember, I remember uh, uh, someone in my family saw a um, uh, like a picture of Dialga and said it looked demonic. 
isn't it kind of Pokemon Satan though? Is that am I thinking the right one? I mean, well, I mean, it's it's the to 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 briefly. No, I'm thinking of Giratina. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. This was one of like the uh, the more like uh, like dragon like light oriented right. versions or like fighting Giratina. That's the one from Diamond. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, now I'm, I'm thinking of the right guy now. Yeah, it was like the the dark possessed like Di- Dialga picture, and she's like, "See, even your science possessed." So like that that sort of. <laughs> satanic panic stuff was uh, still present. So what's really crazy about that satanic panic um, and, um, you know, you have that culminated and especially events that hit close to home for me, like the West Memphis three, which we do not have time to go into now. um, Would highly recommend watching the documentary West of Memphis if you want to learn more about that. But uh, that is the reason why I was not allowed to play outside as a child uh, for a lot of my period of growing up until I was probably around nine or 10. Um, but, uh, yeah, long, 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 sad story. But when you get from the eighties into the nineties, we go from satanic panic. We hit the Clinton years, like we said earlier, end of history into this weird sort of Y2K millennial panic. Um, humanity starts seeing that big numbers are happening. Like we're going to roll over from one nine, nine, nine to two, zero, zero, zero. And like the whole world's going to do an odometer flip and everybody's brains kind of broke for like five years um, where they were super scared. All this weird computer stuff was going to happen, that the computers were all going to shut down because they thought it was going to be 1900. And like you couldn't go anywhere without seeing books and magazines predicting what was going to happen January 1st, 2000. Um, everything was millennium themed. It was this huge deal. Like it was, it, it was this massive, like, panic but also like weird celebration it was bizarre and of course none of that happened we're still here um although things have been kind of weird since 2000 if i'm being honest right and to kind of uh share our slightly different perspective um the early 2000s like because uh, i was uh i was born at the tail end of the 90s so like i was i was being formed in this environment where you were kind of like absorbing it for, like with a little bit more cognizance because you're a little bit older than i am yeah i had object permanence by that point yeah, yeah. So like I like a lot of the this like the the drastic change that occurred with the turn of uh with the turn of the millennium, I didn't really start to notice until I was older because I was like just so inundated in like this this was that this is my reality now. Right. The to describe kind of the feeling in the air back then, it it's really difficult. Um it it really does feel like this sort of big deep breath before something kind of turned over. Um, and a lot of people did think that the rapture was going to happen because there is a lot of in that rapture theology, that word millennium, that is another key part of the theology after the Antichrist is defeated at the end of the seven years. Um, Christ comes back to earth and reigns on earth, not in heaven, but on a new kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And it's called the millennium. So I, whatever it was, word association or whatever it was that took hold in people's minds. And so you have the satanic panic slide into the Y2K panic. That was around the time that the Bible code fascination happened as well. I am not going to spend a ton of time getting into Bible codes. Just know that a bunch of people bought a bunch of VHS tapes that taught them how to count letters in the Bible and try to find secret messages that God hid for them, both in the original Hebrew and in English translations, if you can believe that. (laughs) 
Oh no. Yeah, like going through and trying to find hidden crypto. And I guarantee you, everyone who is into that, who is still living, is a QAnon person now. I I would guarantee <laughs> that as well. Like, yeah, that look at and those they got their own movies too. There was a movie series, I think, by Trinity Broadcasting Company called The Omega Code. Um, that was about the Antichrist and the end of the world um, as it related to these Bible codes uh, that everybody was into. Uh, basically, just just boomers creating an ARG for themselves. Um, was it about- the Da Vinci Code, like the most popular one of that? Uh, no, the Da Vinci Code was a co- totally separate thing. Um, okay, gotcha. That was a separate thing that was uh, that was actually not that accepted in uh, evangelical circles, and there was a lot of material. A lot of money was made on books trying to discredit the ideas in the Da Vinci Code, even though they were written as fiction to begin with. Huh. Um, but as you know, through pseudo Deutero, you know how people are. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and amidst this climate of people obsessed with the millennium, people obsessed with Bible codes, people obsessed with Satan, and you know, a panic over a, a coming new epoch and the end of history, and um, this weird kind of like, still kind of weirdly shaking off a, a social hangover from the 70s, and then you know, and and then the 80s into that mid 90s period comes left behind. And I'm going to close us out today um, with a reading from the plot summary of Left Behind, this book that sets both the Christian world and uh, a lot of the secular world on fire. An airborne Boeing 747 is headed to London with, without any warning, passengers mysteriously disappear from their seats. Terror and chaos slowly spread not only through the plane, but also worldwide as unusual events continue to unfold. For those who have been left behind, the apocalypse has just begun. And that's the plot summary of Left Behind, a novel of Earth's last days, which we will be getting into next week, kicking off our journey. So, um, Gavin, how are you feeling at this point? I am feeling I a, a lot of the things I have uh, read so far in the books make a whole lot more sense after I know the 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 men behind the curtain so to speak. Yeah, and I hope that this has both primed all of you guys out there and sort of whetted your appetite to uh to look into more of uh, of what we discover here and what we try to uncover. Um, I do want to leave us with some ground rules. Um, I've said some of these already, but our goal here and how we're going to approach this, because like, as you've learned, we're coming at this as one atheist, one believer with two slightly different backgrounds and different approaches. But our, our kind of ground rules are because of the content of these books, the impact, be it negative or positive that they have had. Um, and the broad cultural reach, um, we're going to poke fun where we can. We're not here to mock anyone's faith, but we are going to make fun of these books at certain points. Um, We're also going to enjoy parts of the books where we can. Um, So I think I speak for Gavin as well, and, you know, feel free to agree with me, but there's some enjoyable stuff in here. I mean, they're page turners. They're fun. Yeah, once you, once you get past all the rhetoric and the, the obvious bias of the series, it, uh, it almost kind of at times it's like you're if you're reading like a Star Wars esque adventure. Once you start getting into some of like the the big mystical, almost like high fantasy 
supplements that I get. It almost like starts to feel like a Marvel sort of like comic booky sort of feel after a while, rather than a, a purely um, uh, like uh, evangelical or a, rather a, a, a purely like Bible fan fiction s thing. Totally. Um, and we are gonna unpack what we can. Um, as as you've heard over the last hour and a half, we love doing that. And lastly, we're going to call out what we should. Um, there are heavily problematic elements in these books. Um, and just as if we were reading someone like uh, Tolkien or Lovecraft, um, we're not going to shy away from saying like, okay, here's, here's a point that's worth bringing up for being problematic. Um, we are going to call that stuff out as we see it because, you know, we've both found even in the first few pages of the first book, like, yikes wow that didn't age well that's pretty rough um rough stuff throughout these books so um we're going to try to approach this in in a spirit of fun and uh with respect to you know as diverse of an audience as we can get um that's our that's our main goal here so um you got anything you want to wrap us up with gab uh well um well, you know, there's a, a, a friend played a song for me today, and I think uh, to sign us off, we I, I might uh, uh, in, uh, we could interlude into that. <laughs> I would be happy to. You wanna you wanna name name check the song real quick? Satan is real by the Lovin' Brothers. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, thank you guys for joining us on episode zero. Um, I have been Shane Bazell. And I've been Gavin Russell. Okay, that's our show. Please remember to subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. And uh, join the community on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Rapture Podcasts. Uh, You can email us at rapturepod at gmail.com, and we really want to hear from you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you all next week as we dive into the very first Left Behind book, uh, a novel of Earth's Last Days. We hope to see you there. Join us as we all try to survive the rapture. You can see him and hear him in this world every day. Satan is real, working with power he can take.